Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. Today we're going to talk about fishing fast, faster, and fastest. Actually, we're going to skip right on by fast uh, because if you just kind of keep your gear in the back of your car and you are able to throw on your gear real quickly and just walk to the river, that's fishing fast and that's great. That's an excellent way to live. If you have an organizational system set up where you're able to have all of your essential gear at the ready, you're fishing enough and you're at the river enough where you have things at hand, that is what I consider fishing fast. And I think you could even say that you can fish fast if you just know where everything is in your house and you're able to quickly organize stuff and throw it into the car and head to the water and be able to get on the water quickly. So we'll kind of call that fast. But when we're talking about faster and fastest, I'm talking about getting out to the water. Now I have a number of articles about this, and I've never really spent one entire podcast on this issue uh, in particular. And so I'm kind of uh, shooting myself in the foot because it probably could be at least two podcasts, but we'll start it here. And I don't think anyone is going to complain if we go into greater depth in an upcoming episode. Uh, Additionally, if there's particular facets of this conversation of fishing faster or getting out to the water faster and actually getting out to the water further, uh, then please let me know. Uh, Matthew at castingacross.com. I'm happy to talk gear, approach, and experience because I'll just be touching on a few of those things uh, generally and tangentially as we move through the next 20 minutes or so. So what do I mean about moving faster or fastest? I'm talking about getting geared up to go into the woods, into the water, and spend a good amount of time moving. So that could be light hiking, that could be trail running. Now, as I've said before, I know not everyone can do trail running. I know not everybody wants to do trail running, but if you're a younger guy or if you're an older guy who's in shape, uh, if you jog, if you use the treadmill, if you jog around your neighborhood, if you compete in some sort of rec league, then this is something that you can do. You just may never have thought of it before. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to work through a couple of approach aspects and a couple of gear aspects and touch on the 
faster approach, which I would consider like the light hiking approach and the fastest approach, which is the trail running approach. And what you could even do is probably do a mix and match and not have to go whole hog into one or the other. But let me kind of give this a, a, a preamble. Why am I even bringing this up? Um, what does this have to do with catching trout or, or any other fish for that matter? I like moving quickly and lightly into the woods because I'm very unencumbered when I'm moving lightly. So when I have a bare minimum of gear, I think that it just improves the experience. And if you've listened to me for any period of time or you've read my articles, you know that I love gear. I just like having the exact gear I need for that situation. The more finely honed my gear selection is, I feel like the better experience I can have. That doesn't mean it's going to ruin my day if I have a five weight and a four weight would have kind of ultimately been a better choice. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying things that are lighter, things that are more streamlined, things that precisely fit the kind of angling that I am looking to do. So that's part of fishing faster, uh, is having a, a lighter weight, more streamlined uh, pay, payload of gear that you bring with you. Another thing is that, generally speaking, most folks are going to drive up to the stream, do a little bit of walking, and then start fishing. If you can drive to the stream, do a lot of bit of walking, that is going to expose you to fish that have seen less angling pressure. If you go to the stream and you do a whole lot of walking, or even some jogging or running, then you're going to get even further away from fish that have seen lots of action. So this is one of my main kind of draws to this approach is that you get in front of fish that haven't seen as many flies before and uh, you really get to get to some fish that maybe haven't seen a fly all season even late into the season you're talking like april may even early june uh, where i've definitely stumbled onto places where i've not seen another boot print the, the fish have probably seen bears and otters and uh you know mother other animals long before they've seen an angler so that's kind of the why um, I'm not doing this just to, just to do it. I, although at the same time, it is good exercise. Uh, th there is no better feeling than putting miles underfoot and catching fish and sitting down at a restaurant, you know, in the mountains after a long day of doing that. It's just an awesome package, at least for me. That might not be what uh, tickles your fancy, but for me, there's a lot of benefit to that. It really adds a lot to my fishing. That's not to say that just trail running isn't great, and that's not to say that just fly fishing isn't great. But when I combine the two, for me, that is super satisfactory. So, okay, let's get working through it. The most important thing that I would say when it comes to this kind of fishing, fishing faster and fishing fastest, is your footwear. Now, you may very well need two types of footwear. So normal fishing, even pretty fast fishing, you know, you have a pair of wading boots, and that is the boots that you walk from your car to the river in, and that's the, the those are the footwear that you use when you're in the water. If you're fishing faster, however, you might want to have a pair of light hikers. I have a pair of Merrill Moabs. Those are the ubiquitous Merrill shoes. Um, I like them. They're not my favorite. Uh, my favorite light hikers are uh, Targhees, T-A-R-G-H-E-E, -E, I believe, put out by Keen. Basically, what both of those shoes are, as well as many other uh, models made by many other brands, 
But what you're looking for there is something that is going to be lightweight on your foot. So not as heavy as a full-size wading boot, not as heavy as a full-size hiking boot, but also something that's going to provide some sort of stability across your forefoot and some sort of ankle support. That is very important if you have mobility issues, if you have stability issues, if you have any foot problems, knee problems, back problems, but also if you're hiking with a any sort of pack, uh, any sort of weight on you, because that is going to add up, especially if you are planning on putting one, two, three, or more miles underneath you as you get to the water. If you want to be fishing a little bit faster, getting further out there, then you're going to be carrying stuff. Bare minimum, you're going to have all of your core fishing gear, rod, reel, line, flies, all that sort of stuff. Plus, you're also going to have water on you. You're probably going to have food. You should have some emergency supplies as well. And all of that's going to add up on your back, over your shoulders, and that is going to translate into, into your hips, down to your knees and your ankles. So you're going to want something that is going to provide that kind of support that you need in your feet without being so bulky because once you get to the stream, you're going to want to switch it up. Now, if you don't mind wet waiting in flip-flops, then go for it. But I think that just sounds miserable. Sounds like a great way to jack up your toes pretty badly. And so at this point, I usually transition into some sort of waiting shoe. Now, I have done this style of um, kind of faster hiking uh, to get to the water and have a full pair of lightweight wading boots. I have the Reddington Benchmark boots, which is their entry-level boot, but they are a phenomenal boot, very wide toe box, a lot of ankle support, and incredibly light. They are the lightest wading boot I think I've ever owned, and uh, they're, they're awesome. They are kind of my, my go-to uh, wading boot, and so they are bulky because they are full-size, you know, full ankle wading boots, but I will lash those to the back of my pack if I am not running, if I'm moving just at a good clip. But you could drop down to something that is, uh, you know, like a, a, a mesh wading shoe, or even one of the fly fishing companies, uh, wading shoes that are like a low top, if you can handle it. Now, again, if your ankles can't handle that, both because of stability issues or because you don't like that impact of sliding from rock to rock, then you will have to bring a full-size wading boot and like a, a neoprene sock, which is a great option. And it's not super cumbersome, especially if you're not moving too quickly. But if you want to go fastest, then you're going to want to get a trail running shoe. Now, I love um, ultra trail, run, trail running shoes. I have a pair of New Balances that I really like. I have used a couple other brands, but what you're looking for there, again, is a wide base for your foot because you're going to be moving quickly on uneven terrain. Uh, I have had periods in my life where I just have stability issues where I've twisted my ankles running on completely flat surfaces. So I like a nice wide toe box and a nice kind of uh, a heel that has a great level of support. But they're also going to be very, very light because every step you take, you're moving all of that weight up and down. And you're also moving into the woods, you're moving on uneven surfaces. And so there's a lot more muscle movement that you're utilizing that you wouldn't normally utilize if you're walking or running on a treadmill or even running on a flat surface like a road. Uh, if you even run on trails that are generally flat and well-maintained, it's a completely different ball game than running on old railroad grades or you're running just on, on trails in the woods. And so having the right pair of footwear is very important. And here is a little bit of an aside. Um, I am certainly not a trail running expert. I've done it quite a bit in the White Mountains. I've done it down in the Shenandoahs. Uh, I do it just here locally um, north of Boston. Uh, but again, I'm, I'm not an expert. I would not say this is something that I am an authority at. 
But I will say that this is not something you should just jump into. This is not something that you should just say, okay, I'm going, you know, seven miles in. I can run seven miles on the road here at the house. I'm going to run seven miles into the woods. It's a completely different ballgame. The uh, the uneven surfaces and the variability of the texture of the surfaces, as well as having some lightweight gear in your back to have, again, those cores of fishing is going to completely change the dynamics of your stride and, uh, and how you run. So I would say try a, something short for the first thing. So anyway, you have your trail running shoes, and then what do you have on your back? If you're going fastest, then you're going to want a pair of ultralight water shoes that you can wade in. Now, my my absolute favorite are the Astral TR1 Mesh, Astral TR1 Mesh. And I've sung the praises of these shoes, as well as some other shoes by Astrals, like the Brewers, for example, uh, in the past. And the reason for my loving these shoes is that they are kayaking shoes first and foremost. Uh, the uh, brewers in particular are very, very lightweight, very, very um, uh, small. They pack down very tiny, uh, but they're incredibly sticky. The TR1 mesh are a little bit more bulky. You can actually do some hiking in these, uh, and uh, they've got a good toe cap and a little bit more ankle support. The only issue with those is, and, and to be honest with you, I haven't tried running in them. I have done some hiking in them. I just do not like putting a lot of miles on my feet in wet shoes. Uh, my, my feet don't like that. Um, my ankles don't like it. My heels don't like it. My toes don't like it. So I always suggest taking two pairs of shoes or bare minimum. If you have a pair of shoes that are quick drying, like those Astral 2R1 mesh, uh, then you bring two pairs of socks. And I think that's a, that's a good idea to do anyway. If you are trail running and your socks do get wet in your running shoes, that having a new pair of socks to, to put on uh, does buy you a little bit of time before uh, they get saturated and now you have wet feet again. So that's the kind of the most essential piece is the footwear piece uh, for both the faster and the fastest. Now, moving on up, we're talking about backpacks. And this is actually a an, an really important thing because you have a lot of, a lot of uh, variables to, to contend with. First of all, you have carrying capacity. How much stuff are you going to take? Uh, the chances are you don't want to take a lot if you're moving quickly. Now, again, if you're just doing like light hiking, kind of that faster approach, then you really can get away with a large day, day pack and you're going to be fine because you're not going to be bouncing a lot. Uh, but you are going to want something that is going to hug your back that fits you. It's not just your jam sport from high school, something that has, uh, you know, maybe some contours to the shoulder, maybe uh, something that clasps across your chest between the two straps. Um, and you can move relatively well with that pack. Um, you also want something that is going to be able to hold all the gear that you're going to take. And primarily here, we're talking about the bare essentials, rod, reel, line, flies, tools, but all that doesn't weigh much at all. But the water, and that second pair of shoes. Is everything going to fit inside of it or on the outside of it? And is it going to be cumbersome as you are waiting? You know, it's one thing to have everything packed up nice, neat, and tidy as you're moving along the trail, which is good. But then when you get in the water, are there going to be things swinging around and, and bumping into you? So you want to make sure it fits well and you can move well with it. But pretty much any day pack will do. My preferred pack for this is the Vitavu Spinner Day Pack awesome no frills pack with a lot of lash points so as long as you have straps you can put pretty much anything on the outside of it um, even if that stuff is wet and you can fit a lot of stuff on the inside of it uh, the contours of this bag make it so that you can put more stuff on the top as long as the stuff on the bottom is, is kind of heavier and smaller and it, it makes it so that you can access anything and everything two rod holding uh, pouches on either side or a water bottle pouch on either side and then um, you can also attach a bladder to it and that's actually my preferred way to hold water is to get a high 
hydration bladder. I've never had good luck with them, so I'm not going to recommend any one particular brand. I feel like I'm buying new ones all the time. I think Camelbacks might have been the most reliable kind of as I think back through the years, but even then, uh, there's either a problem with the bladder itself when the connection points at the bladder or the connection point down at the bite point where you actually put the thing in your mouth. Uh, and those things, clean them clean them right and clean them well, whether they're for your hiking or your fishing, uh, because they can get nasty real quick. So uh, that's the backpack piece of it. Now, probably more important uh, is if you're going fastest, if you are going to be running or even jogging. Here, one of the greatest inconveniences and biggest headaches is if you have a backpack that is going to be moving around with you as you jog. If it is bouncing, uh, if it is swooshing, if it's even jangling, that kind of stuff will drive you nuts. Maybe you're a much more patient person than me, but that kind of thing, I just can't stand it. I will stop. I will relash everything down. I'll move stuff around. If my nippers are, are bumping into my floating tube, it will absolutely drive me crazy and I will fix it because that's the last thing I want to do. I want, I'm in the woods. I want peace and quiet. I don't want to be creating racket as I move. All I want to hear is my footfalls and the sound of my heavy breathing, right? Anyway. So what I like to do is find a bag that I can snug up tight around my my shoulders and something that I can clasp around my waist. So I can't even tell you the name of the bag I use, but it's an old LL Bean hydration pack that probably has a few hundred cubic inches of storage on the inside, and it works great. There is a big lash point kind of, uh, for sliding in shoes, which is great for dry shoes or wet shoes. But then there's enough places to carry one fly box, all the essential tools, a, a cliff bar, a lot of water, and a fly rod. And that's all I need. Maybe a rain jacket I'll stuff in there somewhere, I'll lash on there somewhere. But you know, as long as you have everything put in the right places, and again, kind of heavy stuff towards your low back, light stuff up between your shoulder blades, and then doing a good job of all of the little you know, miscellany, all your tools, having them in a place where they are snug so they're not bouncing around or rattling around, then that's really all you want. And this is something that you should practice before, again, before you get out. So that means maybe look like a goofball in your fishing backpack, jogging around the neighborhood, just doing a quick lap around the block. How does it feel? Because if it doesn't feel good as you jog around the block, it's definitely not going to feel good one mile, two miles into the woods. So that is the storage piece. So we talked about footwear, which I said the most important, and then kind of that's a footwear is 1A, 1B is going to be your pack. So I don't take my sling pack into the woods. I don't take my chest pack into the woods. I don't take my my vest into the woods if I'm going further and faster. I will stick with a backpack. And once you get ready to fish, you just rearrange everything. You move stuff into the pockets of your shorts. You move stuff into the you know the front pouches of if you have a backpack that's got like some sort of little pouch, or even if you're just wearing like a shirt with pockets in it, you drop it in there. Um, and that's all you do because again, that kind of fishing, there's chances are that you're not going to be in and out, in and out of your gear all the time. You're going to be able to just keep your core stuff handy. One quick note for both of these kinds of fishing, um, the the, the faster styles of, of fishing. I don't fish in pants. Well, and if I do, I'm just fishing in nylon pants. And I'm just fishing in a long sleeve, uh, quick drying shirt. Um, and it's something that I will be comfortable in on the trail and something I'll be comfortable in um, in the water. Usually I'm wearing like running clothes, whether I'm running or not, just because they're the most comfortable. All right. Last thing I want to say is just what you bring. Pair it down to the bare minimum. Um, I usually only bring one rod when I'm doing stuff like this. I usually only bring one reel that came back to bite me last year. I dropped a reel, uh, just wasn't thinking, super worn out. Instead of dropping my fly into the water, I dropped my reel into the water just because I forgot which hand was which apparently. And the spring for my disc drag 
completely like shot out. So it's somewhere up in the mountains. Um, and I had no other reel. So I was fishing with a reel that was in free spool the entire time. So I kind of had to hold it with, with the hand, my hand, I looked like I had no clue what I was doing as I was casting. Otherwise it would just spin, spin, spin. Um, but that's happened once in all the times I've done this. So I'm not going to start bringing a second reel just in case, uh, bring one, one rod, one small box of flies. Um, generally speaking, this type of fishing, if you're moving a long ways away, you're probably going to be, you know, pretty, pretty far away from, from your car, but you just got to pick the flies that you have confidence in and what you anticipate they're going to be uh, biting on. And then just the most essential tools. If you have a pair of forceps that has scissors in them, so they don't even need to bring nippers. That's one less thing to bring and jangle around. Um, I like to bring uh, floatant, both uh, desiccant and uh, just gel floatant. Uh, that way I don't have to carry lots of flies as flies get waterlogged. I carry lots of tippet, no matter what I'm doing. I carry, you know, uh, 3X to, to 6X, and then a replacement leader in case the world just falls apart. And that's really about it. Uh, you have maybe have one piece of gear that you really like, but uh, if you can fit it in there, then great. Then other stuff that I think is essential to bring with you. I already mentioned a second pair of socks, which I think is, you'll find so many uses for that. I use that second pair of socks to kind of cushion stuff um, as it jingles around. A sock is a lot smaller than a, than a like a puffy reel pouch and so instead of bringing a reel pouch and some socks i just put my set my reel in my sock as i am hiking and then i don't have to worry about it being scratched up or being dinged by anything um, i will use the socks to again cushion my forceps my nippers as i'm as i'm running and they won't stuff won't make as much noise first aid kit i keep it pretty simple i probably should get something a little bit more substantial uh, for when i go on longer runs but i just want a couple of band-aids in case i get a blister some tape in case uh, i have to to tape up a, a, a cut or a wound or something like that and you know a pair of tweezers to pull something out that's really gnarly and a tick twister uh, in case i do find a bug on me otherwise i'm just going to be thinking about getting back to the house and using my tick twister to get the bug off of me tick twisters uh you'll see them on amazon or they hopefully your fly shop has them this is a great thing like a point of sale thing to put at the the uh, checkout um, but they look like little forks that are bent and you just put them on the tick and you spin it around and eventually it'll pop them out and it, i have never used this on me or any of my kids and left any mouth parts in me from the tick um, so i keep one in my first aid kit and uh, use it as needed so that's really about it now there's so much ground we could cover we could talk about technique we could talk about where to go how to go all that sort of stuff but we'll say that for another podcast episode but hopefully i've given you a few things to think about and especially those most important things as you're fishing faster and fastest whether you're doing light hiking or whether you're doing trail running to get to the water to find fish that haven't seen as many anglers and for you to just have a great experience combining something that you already like doing running or jogging or hiking and combining that with fishing. If you do have questions about any of the things I've talked about or things I have neglected to mention in this podcast, let me know Matthew at castingacross.com. As is the case, if I get enough emails about one topic that usually will turn into an expanded podcast in the near future. And so I do appreciate all of those who have that kind of feedback. It does make it a lot easier to continue to put out more and more podcasts. This week's first article on castingacross.com is called You Need Water to Fish you need water to fish. Um, I don't know why this has been on my mind. I think it has to do with like my kids and they're getting older and they don't drink as much water as they should. And I'm always on them for drinking a lot of water. And then I stop and realize, you know what? 
I drink a lot of water when I'm being active, when I'm working in the yard, when I'm fishing. I'm always running out and then having to go to my second bottle. And so I talked real quickly about why water helps you focus, why water helps you maintain stamina, and why it's a important part of safety while you're out in the water. So uh, you need water to fish. Obviously, you need water to fish in, but why you need water, you need water to fish. And then Wednesday's article is is a great place to go if you do have other questions before maybe you shoot me an email uh, about what I talked about today in the podcast. It's called Rusty Flybox Faster and Farther. And so I have an entire article about trail running to fish. I have an entire article about uh, light hiking to fish. And then I have um, a podcast episode about uh, some of this stuff, but it's, it's older. It's, it's almost like a, 100 episodes ago, so that's almost two years. So there's going to be some overlap in that, but I talk more about kind of the fitness side of it. So definitely check that out. And uh, you might hear uh, me contradict myself, which is always interesting, but I did not go back and listen to that entire podcast episode before I recorded this one. So do let me know if I said something completely different. But at the same time, it's been two years, perhaps I've changed my mind. This week's recommendation on the podcast is something I mentioned already today, the Tick Twister. There's a lot of products like this, but the one that I use that I have had a lot of success with, it is called the Tick Twister by Tick Twister. I will put a link to this particular product on the show notes, this podcast page on castingacross.com. But at this moment, it is $6.52 and free prime delivery for those of you who have that uh, service uh, on the amazon.com. And so I bought a couple of sets and I put one in the hiking backpack. I put one in my wife's purse, put one in my fishing stuff. Uh, and, and then there's a couple other bouncing around somewhere, but they have two different sizes, which is great. If you live somewhere that has different sizes of ticks, it's just such peace of mind. You can use it on yourself, your kids, your pets. Uh, you, I've had it where we've had people that we've run into on the trail and they're like, you know, you could tell they're in distress. They said, Hey, uh, if you don't mind, you can use this. And it popped right out and just hit it with some alcohol and you're golden. Uh, so it's a great thing to have. Lyme disease is awful. I had it. I do not wish anybody. I got a particular virus that a lot of people got over the last few years. And compared to my bout with Lyme disease, I would take the big C any day of the week because Lyme disease is no fun. So let me know if you have questions about the Tick Twister or other products. Maybe I've tried those because, uh, you know, once you've had Lyme disease, you are very aware of uh, ticks. And especially if you have lots of little, little kids in your family. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm-hmm.